When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone, and welcome back to None But the Brave, a presentation of Evergreen Podcast. I am Hal Schwartz, and as always, I'm here with my great buddy, Flynn McLean. Flynn, we got a lot of stuff to talk about tonight. <laughs> yes, we do. We got Bruce on stage, Bruce on, on CD or audio, and as well as Bruce on stage in the future. So let's just get to it. Yeah, so Bruce made an appearance with Coldplay at MetLife Stadium the other night, and he played two songs, Working on a Dream and Dancing in the Dark. The first, a, a bit of a curveball. The second, not a curveball at all. I, I guess that Chris Martin is a huge fan of Working on a Dream. I, is he deranged? I don't know. What, well, you know, what's the story I, with that? Well, I remember back when, it, when the album first came out, when Working on a Dream first came out in early 2009, hearing that Coldplay actually, they either did a cover of it or they just or just Chris Martin dropping a few lines into it into one of their songs at the time at a live concert at the time. So in that way, it's not that big of a surprise. It's just unusual that Chris Martin has such an affinity for the song. I mean, he has such an affinity for it that he tattooed it on his arm. <laughs> he actually, I guess, said it was a gateway for him to Bruce's music. <laughs> really? <laughs> Yeah, something like that. I I don't know. I mean, look, we we all have our own tastes, but from, from where I'm sitting, working on a dream is that's one that's of the it. weaker songs in the catalog, to be sure. That's, and and of of all the things you would tattoo on yourself from Bruce's catalog, <laughs> that's that's definitely an, an odd choice, in my opinion. It's a little different, but uh, he's I think he's a little different too. So. It kind of makes sense. Let, let's talk about the performance. I thought Bruce looked fantastic. And, it, of course, it was the first time he was performing in that large of an audience, probably in, since in 2017, while. right? Well, yeah, I was uh, was MetLife Stadium. He had a minimum of 55,000 people there. And, uh, yeah, he hasn't been on, on a stage in front of that many people one time, yeah, since, as you said, since 2017. So uh, the dancing in the dark was was really well done. And, and just the two of them, Chris Martin and Bruce on stage, I enjoyed that o working on a dream. It, it actually wasn't a bad version of the song. Uh, I, I think I've spoken out on my thoughts on that one enough, so I won't repeat it. But what did you think? Yeah, I thought they were both really interesting. It's I love the, the arrangement that they did of dancing, the uh, Bruce on the guitar and Chris on piano. And and yeah, uh, working on a dream, not, you know. Yeah, not top 10 for me, but it was cool to see him do something different. Obviously, it was Chris Martin's idea, and uh, I I liked it, but I, I like most of those kinds of things. Well, I would like to have been there, of course. I wasn't. You weren't. So for everyone who was there, I'm sure it was a treat, and just nice to see Bruce out and performing again. And, and with that, we move on to the ticketing for his own tour, and... <laughs> That's been an interesting situation. First of all, just blowout success in Europe, but they, they've also had some struggles at points getting the tickets into the hands of fans. 
Well, we're not planning on going to Europe next year, so I really didn't follow the ticket sales closely at all. But uh, you did. I mean, you're going there. So uh, what were your experiences? It was a bit messy. They, at least for one of the sales, they had about six or seven shows going on sale simultaneously. Ticketmaster in Europe totally melted down. They actually had to pause the main on sale for Copenhagen, Amsterdam, and Landgraf. The the other sales that were going on at that time were pre-sale, so I guess they didn't feel it was necessary to to, to pause the sales at, because there were other sales coming up. But it just it was it was mind-boggling what was going on. Nobody could complete an order. I, Literally, for one of the shows, I pulled up a front of stage ticket 50 times. It was just every time I pulled, you would pull up the ticket and then it would say it timed out. So and these are problems that probably won't exist in the United States because the ticketing. I didn't realize that European Ticketmaster was really handling these sales differently. First of all, you didn't go into a waiting room until the actual sales time. Here, the waiting room starts in advance of the sale. Also, they weren't limiting, as they do in the States, it appeared, the one connection per account. So they were probably very overburdened, but they did eventually get the tickets out. Fans were able to purchase them. There's certainly some discussion over the use of platinum ticketing. I had said the last time when we spoke about this that I didn't know how much they'd use the platinum ticketing in Europe, but... (laughs) There is no doubt about it. They're, they're, they're using it very heavily. Right now in Denmark, for the Copenhagen shows, there are platinum tickets. The only tickets remaining for the pit are platinum, and they're priced at about $630. It's and then U.S. dollars, platinum. right? Yes, you, converted to U.S. dollars. And then the seats on the side, which are, of course, seated tickets, about $675 in U.S. So very, very expensive tickets. We knew they were going to capitalize on the platinum. I I think it's coming for sure here in the United States. But for a European stadium, I'll say $675 for a side seat, is that's pretty high. And I looked at some of the other venues. Gothenburg, not as bad. A pit ticket there in the platinum is about $355 U.S. This is the way the world works now. And as I think I said in the last episode, uh, people should prepare themselves for the U.S. because I can't imagine it's going to be any different. I can't imagine that either. It's and in arenas, the side tickets are going to be even more valuable than they are in in a European stadium. So, yeah, it's. I think we're gonna. There's going to be some sticker shock when when you when the ticket sales are first announced and. You know, that whole man of the people. I mean, we never really, <laughs> never really believed that one anyway. But there's going to be a lot of outcry from various, uh, I'm sure, various media articles saying, criticizing Bruce <laughs> for charging his fans so much. And they can just get over it. <laughs> I saw on Twitter today someone brought up now, I guess, Rage Against the Machine is not doing platinum, but they're doing charity tickets similarly priced. And someone was interacting with Morello. And and then Morello was said that those are charity tickets. Our base price for the general admission is one hundred and fifty dollars. And then you had about one hundred people chiming in that one hundred and fifty dollars is way too expensive. I, I, I don't not know how to a concert in ten years. I mean, come yeah, on. I, I don't understand it myself. The fact is, this is the environment we're in. I, I think one hundred and fifty dollars. As we were saying the last time. The base price in Europe for Bruce's tickets, I find incredibly reasonable. I I guess in Zurich, there were a couple of tickets that went above $200 U.S. 
But overall, I think the Pitt and Gothenburg, someone told me they paid 130 or so U.S. dollars. That's really outstanding. And if you look at what some of the other acts are charging, definitely below that, uh, the major acts at least. And these platinum tickets, it's it's like I said last time, the artists want to get paid. The promoters don't want to take any risk anymore. And nobody has to buy a platinum ticket they don't want. Now, obviously, what is happening, though, when you have platinum tickets for the front of stage area, which is what they call the pit in Europe, and they're pulling tickets for the platinum program, obviously, some people are not getting tickets at the base price that they otherwise might have gotten. So that that is a fair complaint. Well, I think one of the the aspects of these inflated ticket prices is just that if all the tickets were, say, sold at $200 or 150 and then some speculators or brokers bought those tickets and then and then raised the price themselves and tried to sell for 400 or 500 they're getting the money, not the artists. So I kind of I understand. I mean, Bruce wants to wants the money. And why should why should a, a, a broker or in, or a scalper get that money? I from that reasoning, it's totally reasonable. Yeah, you know, of course, I fully agree with that. The people making the money should be the promoter and the artist and not some random person who gets lucky on Ticketmaster the morning of the sale. It's, it's expensive to put on a concert. And clearly, it's really risky these days with the COVID concerns. And it's just wrong for some random person to make four times more off the tickets than the performer himself. And and. That's one of the main reasons why Live Nation came up with the market pricing. And I don't know if any other solution makes sense. I think they, they do have the right solution. Go ahead and make some tickets available at, at a reasonable price. And then for others that are very, they're going to be very valuable or would be very valuable on a secondary market, get what they're worth. Make Allow the, the promoter and, and the artist to, to get that money that otherwise would be going to a to a third party. And I think it's not ideal, obviously, if we're going to go on on whenever they're on they're put on sale in the U.S. and it's $600 for a pit ticket. Yeah, that's kind of disgusting, but I'd rather have Bruce get that money than, than a third party. That's for sure. Well, that's the one major question we don't know. And I, I think I may have mentioned the last time Pearl Jam on their current tour does have a specific pit. Now, in that case, it's only for 10 club members, and then they're seating behind the pit. The seating behind the pit in the platinum program were going for some very high prices. And I suspect if they want to maximize revenue, it makes total sense that Bruce is going to use the same system. You and I discussed this when he was on Broadway a million times, and I really felt it helped fans that they set the tickets at the prices that they set them with the $850 top ticket. Because one of the things that I felt was First of all, that's in line with other hot Broadway shows. That's important to point out. But the other thing that I, I really felt was with that, if they had sold every ticket for, say, $200, the first 10, 12 rows, which were the seats that were eventually priced at $850, they would have been sold to people looking to make a quick buck, whether it's brokers or fans flipping them on StubHub. And what would have happened is, and we, we saw this especially for the Friday and Saturday night shows, if they had sold the first 10 rows for $200, every one of those tickets would have been snapped up by speculators who would have priced, say, a fifth row ticket for $1,500. So there's no risk in there for that person. 
it's an invitation, I think, to, to buy the tickets to flip. But if you're pricing them at 850, that's a lot less comfortable for that buyer. And with all of the StubHub fees, you damn well better be sure you know what you're doing there. And I think the pricing made the tickets readily available to fans. Now, I understand that some of the tickets were well beyond the limits of uh, quite a number of people. And if that's a direction they go in here for the U.S., I, I know a lot of people are going to be offended. Everything's more expensive now. And one, one thing I've seen people comment on is that he just got half a billion dollars from Sony. And no, that I'm sorry, that's not meant to subsidize this tour. <laughs> that's a totally different entity that is a different different operation. So it's, yeah, he, yeah, he may have just got a big payday from Sony, but don't expect that to, to trickle down to you. Let's wait and see. It, I think they're going to announce the U.S. tour, hopefully within the next four to six weeks. We haven't heard anything specific on that. But this is a really fascinating question, and we're going to look at it more when they announce the details. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun with that one. In the meantime, we have another big revenue-producing item for Bruce. Well, I don't know if each individual archive is big revenue, but I think in totality, they're definitely big revenue. That's why they're still going after seven years. We have a new archive and it is a good one. Yeah. June 4th, 81, London. Yeah. We got the, uh, got the June 5th show. Uh, I guess that was about uh, three years ago now. And yeah, it's pretty similar, but it's, is Bruce, the East Street band basically at the height of their powers. I know you prefer the USA tour, but, uh, there was so there was something about the river tour. They were just they were playing Wait, you, you balls out, I, man. You think I prefer the Born in the USA tour to the River Tour? I do. You, I thought you said that yourself that you thought that was the East well, Street Band at their best. Well, I, I no, 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 no. I thought that was the <laughs> peak. I think you definitely the River Tour represented the band at its musical best. Oh, okay. but definitely the peak of the band is the Born in the USA tour, a hundred percent. I don't know. But what what's, I will what's say the difference is, between what's the difference between a peak and playing their best? I don't. What's the difference? Well, I think I'm including the peak being considering everything, the, the fan response, the the ah, height okay. of hysteria. You mean commercial success? Commercial success mixed in with the 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 largeness of the music. I, I think that certainly the Born in the USA tour, as we know, went to places that none of the other tours have gone to, and I don't I can't sit there and say in the stadiums in 1985 they were playing as well as they were playing in 1980 and I don't believe that they were but I think overall the Born in the USA tour is the top of the mountain for Bruce and this represents a really great period this archive yes it I I will say that the 1980 River leg, I, I still think, is superior to the 81 leg. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of discussion on the Backstreet's board about the tempos from 81. As we know, they they changed considerably, probably because he had postponed Europe due to exhaustion. And it, listening to the show, it it does seem, and we've reflected on this before on, on the 81 shows, it does seem like they definitely are intentionally playing at a slower tempo. Oh, absolutely. And I think it does allow them to, to, for Bruce anyway, to sing more than than just just be yelling for the for the four minutes uh, of each song. And 
I only really noticed it in um, in Hungry Heart, to be honest. I think uh, <laughs> that's the one I was going to bring up. <laughs> well, that that's the only one that that really is 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 blatantly obvious. I guess some people feel that stuff like Ties or or Promised Land, but I Hungry Heart's the only one that really stands out to me. And but it still it allows the the, the crowd to sing <laughs> to sing along for their part without being rushed. And then. And I just love the way the 81 shows open with those four those four rockers coming out, boom, 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 boom. You can look, uh, Cadillac Ranch, Hungry Heart, Sherry Darling, and and he would mix up the order from night to night. So, uh, But I just love that, just love that sequence. But you're so right. The Hungry Heart, it, it, that is a very leisurely paced version <laughs> of Hungry Heart. <laughs> it happens. It happens. And... Uh, and yeah, this is the band at the at the top of their uh, top of their playing, okay? <laughs> and it's very yeah, very similar to the next night which was released and yeah, not really not that much different than the uh than the July 81 from, show from the Meadowlands that was released 2 years ago. But at the same same time, it, it's Bruce and the band and they sound amazing. The whole the whole show sounds amazing and you got racing in the street into back streets. I thought that was that's quite uh, quite a feat. It's a good listen, and the Rosalita is outstanding. There's a couple of little flourishes in Rosalita that I, I haven't heard elsewhere, especially the long pause before the Jack the Rabbit verse. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I noticed that today myself. That was that was pretty interesting. And then he, I mean, you're right. It's not just he's not just pausing. Like the whole band stopped playing. And of course, you got the spotlight on the big man during the intros. It, that's a really, really fun version of Rosalita. The encores are outstanding. The version of Jungle Lad is huge. The medley is 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 colossal, as it <laughs> often was during that tour. Yeah, and it, it's just a great listen. As you say, there's some similarity here. But as we've discussed before in the classic era with the shows they have remaining, th there's going to be a lot of that. Right. And so and this kind of opens the door to the fact that they're I, I got to imagine eight nineteen eighty four is coming out uh, before too long. Maybe not this year, but certainly it may be one of the next two Born in the USA tour releases. That is, as we know, the last remaining show from 1984. And there's a couple of interesting things in there. My recorded house, re which you, well, you, you should probably clarify to say recorded in multitrack. <laughs> Yes, recorded in multi-track. But do we have any reason to believe they actually have soundboards from that era? I have no idea. None whatsoever. Do you None think whatsoever. if they have them that they will release them at some point? I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I, I would hate to think that when they have released all the 85 and 84 soundboards that they're just going to not release any more USA shows and replace it with another devils and dust or another working on a dream show but that certainly is a possibility as long as they seem to be sticking only with multi-tracks uh that's uh, unfortunately a possibility well speaking of the multi-tracks one of the ones we know they have is from well they have two more shows from the metal lands 1981 they probably wanted to get away from that stand since that was the most recent one but mm -hmm. The one thing I would say is, and this is what excited me about last month's release from The Garden, I do think that they should be taking a, a look at these shows and going, okay, from these tours where the sets are fairly similar, is there anything in the show that is unique? Of course, we got that last week with Crying, and that was an important one. There's another important one from this tour, 
from the Meadowlands. And that's, I don't want to go home. So I hope that they will get around to releasing one of the shows from the Meadowlands that has, I don't want to go home before too long. I hope so. I hope so. But this is uh, basically the second river release in seven months. And I, and I do expect this, this series to be paused at least a little bit when the tour starts uh, in the first couple months of next year. So um, it's possible we won't get it until, you know, 2024, but that's just the way it goes. We're going to have a whole bunch of shows to listen to next year on all, on a, almost uh, two or three a week for, for some stretches. Well, it's sure as hell going to be interesting to see what he does with the set, how much changes there are, and really how much he has left, hopefully a lot. But that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> I still think he has a lot left. And he can't do it like he did in 81 with the way he just, you know, I mean, oh, man, listening to that, uh, going back to, to London and June 4th. Yeah, it's he leaves it all out on the table there and some nice flourishes from Steve. He's he's pan right there in your right ear and his own guitar playing and Danny. Danny sounds amazing. I really love this version or this arrangement of Trapped. It just sounds so much different than oh, it did. That's another three, one I meant three, to bring up. Yeah, three years later. I, I like the keyboard sound on this one. I think it sounds more organic than it did in, in 84 when it seemed to have a lot more synthesizers than, than needed. I happen to like all the versions of Trapped, tremendous <laughs> cover, one of the best. And I guess we'll see where the series goes next month. Perhaps you're right. We're we'll due a Born in the USA show. It'll, maybe it'll be 8 I know, and I'm biased on this, but there's a lot of other people waiting for it. The, the July 5th, 2012 in Paris. And we'll probably also do a Darkness show sometime soon. So stay tuned. <laughs> yep. Yeah, the first Friday, and I guess the first Friday in July is the first, and before holiday weekend. So I wouldn't be too surprised, unfortunately, if they delay it a week, but such is life. Okay, then. Let's move on to the main topic tonight, part two of our discussion on the Devils and Dust Tour. When we left off, Bruce had finished up the first U.S. leg, and now we're going to resume with the start of the European Tour. Yeah, and uh, things picked up in Dublin, Ireland on, on May 24th, uh, 2005, and basically picked off, picked up right where he left off uh, after Boston. This pretty much a very similar set. You got the river, you got real world. Uh, he he had to change the intro to part man, part monkey a little bit because he uh, had to explain to the Europeans that there is still some debate in the U.S. whether whether we descended from Adam and Eve or 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 from the monkey. So there was uh, he had to do some translation there, and but for the most part everything was was still back in place with uh, closing with the promised land and into dream baby dream. When you look at the European sets for the first couple of weeks, there were basically no tour debuts, and he was just sticking to running cycling through the material that he had done in the states. Uh, the first tour debut was in Belgium, which was the. Uh, Fourth show, he did State Trooper, which would become a semi-regular for the rest of the tour. And then as he got deeper into Europe, as we're going to discuss, the floodgates really opened. There was stuff being played that definitely you and I are, are definitely in favor of. <laughs> well, I guess you're talking about the, the show in Rome, right? <laughs> On June 6th, where, uh, where he played Brilliant Disguise in Lucky Town as a uh, uh, as they made their tour debuts and that was a fantastic show even even before you include those two debuts with 
the uh, I think I talked about this in the last episode or last time we talked about this tour where he he opened the show with uh, the th- well the, the theme song or the theme from Once Upon a Time in the West, which was written by Ennio Morricone. And he did the and he started the show with I'm on fire on the banjo and it worked to work to just tremendous effect. This show is a barn burner. The opening of the show with the I'm on fire was awesome. And of course, I'm in favor also of a song from Tunnel of Love, Brilliant Disguise and the title track from one of my favorite records, Lucky Town, being played. This one hopefully will also be an archive at some point. We'll, we'll be able to say that a lot now as we go through Europe. Oh, absolutely. I think there was almost something in, in every show for the rest of the rest of the European leg that where you want to say, OK, this one sh- should be official, officially released. That's for sure. Hi, I'm Hal Schwartz from Numb But the Brave, and I want to tell you about our exciting new sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid is a service for musicians that puts your music into online stores and streaming services like Spotify. You keep 100 percent of your royalties. The DistroKid app is packed with features. You can check your streaming stats from Apple and Spotify, upload lyrics and song credits. You can also get notified via push notifications when you've earned royalties. With Mixia, a powerful tool for those without access to professional mastering engineers, users can put the finishing touches on their track in minutes. There's a simple interface that is easy to use even if you're a novice creator. It's only $99 for a year with unlimited mastered tracks. DistroKid also has a new feature called Instant Share that allows you to easily share large files securely, send tracks to collaborators, booking agents, and anyone else you want to hear your work. Your music will stream at the highest quality so you can make a great impression, and the artwork files look great too. So check out DistroKid through None But The Brave's special link and receive 30% off your first year. DistroKid.com slash VIP slash MBTB. Once again, distrokid.com slash VIP slash MBTV. Thank you. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. The next show was in Milan. Tour debuts here included a key one from Nebraska, Open All Night, and, and also Lost in the Flood on the piano. And then, uh, he, then he pulls out Point Blank later in the show, and he was, uh, he was on a roll at that point. And then certainly into Frankfurt, Germany, Counting on a Miracle. And that one was kind of a surprise, if only because you don't really see that one lending itself to, to any kind of piano, piano arrangement, but, that, but that's how he did it. That was one of the ones he did half electric piano and then switched over to the piano, as we talked about with Paradise. I really liked when he did that. It was very dramatic. 
I actually don't recall the counting on a miracle. I guess I have to pull out your your <laughs> compilation, which, as we admitted, as I admitted last week, I haven't listened to the whole thing. But I, I guess I'm going to pull that one out so I can hear what counting on a miracle sounded like. Now, another song that I believe was played on both the electric piano and the piano was in the next show in Dusseldorf. This one I remember very, very effective, and that's I Wish I Were Blind. Oh, and absolutely beautiful. My my favorite of, of these hybrid keyboard arrangements was was Walk Like a Man. But I got to say, I Wish I Were Blind is is not far behind at all. And and it worked really well going into a, believe it or not, a piano arrangement of, of Mary's place. But that's just but that just shows you where where he was going. It was anything was was on the table and any song and any arrangement on any instrument. He was he was really finding a heck of a good groove here, and it it, it continued. Uh, Adam raised the cane, and came out in in the Netherlands, followed by uh, in Paris, France, Cadillac Ranch and Better Days with Elliot Murphy. So Elliot Murphy in Paris is not exactly a surprise, but Better Days. Hal, you're a big fan yeah, of that No, one. very exciting. And, and I still want to talk about Dusseldorf a little bit more. You look at the array, he, the songs on the piano, Incident, Tougher, Mary's Place, as you mentioned, Racing in the Street, Jesus Was an Only Son. Then he played a song on the electric piano and piano, which was I Wish I Were Blind. Reason to Believe was played with the bullet mic. There were songs on the pump organ. I'm on Fire was played on the banjo. This is the type of show... When we talk about the Joe tour, of course, the presentation of the music on the Joe tour was, was very consistent, not only throughout the night, but throughout the entire tour. He was doing stuff here. I think it, it really most specifically in the late spring into the summer where, where we're going to talk about some of the U.S. dates. That was, I think, more adventurous in many ways than than anything he'd ever done before. What do you think about that? Oh, absolutely. As I said, he, any song was on the table, any any arrangement w- was on the table, any instrument. This was the tour where he, the only tour actually, I believe, of the, since since '93, where he actually he fully dived into the, into those '92 records. There was nothing that that he he wasn't willing to give a shot. And I mean, I, obviously, he didn't play every song from those two records, but he certainly. He dived. He played a heck of a lot of them, and certainly a lot more than he ever, ever did on any E Street tour ever. That is for sure. And it continued. There were, there was an array of material that was played here. When you look at the U.S. tour, when this tour kicked off, even though he was playing a lot of songs. Some of them you look at and you go, okay, uh, it's an acoustic tour. That's not surprising. Even something like Cautious Man, which is a shocker because of the few times or the only time it had been played previously. But it's not a shocker in terms of an acoustic tour. Some of the songs here, as you're mentioning, Mary's Place, I Wish I Were Blind, The Counting on a Miracle. These are songs that you wouldn't necessarily think would pop up in this show. But it also serves to prove the point that I made last time, which was, the Joe tour was a folk tour. This was a rock tour. And he approached it, I think, from a rock and roll mindset, just like he approaches an E Street Band tour. And that really got reflected here during these shows, the latter part of Europe. Okay. I can I definitely see your point. I remember you had made that point, and I think I mentioned this before, that he you would you had said that to me said that to me, I think in early early in the tour in, in two thousand five, that this was more this was rock. And he certainly 
as you said, he, he brought a rock mindset to these shows where he was going to he was going to try anything. And he and, you know, he did straight time. He did Highway 29. Those aren't exactly shockers. But then doing Cadillac Ranch and Better Days, that's those are more those are more shocking. And then we get the Stockholm. Now, this show has been released. That was a good one to release. A downbound train on the pump organ, which is it just there's something about that performance. And we we talked about it when the archive was released. There, there's a a pain and and I think a melancholy. It's remarkable what he achieved. And then also in that show, Across the Border, which is a song that uh, would not be a surprise on an acoustic tour. And, and then you get the beautiful half piano piano version of Walk Like a Man, just off the charts, gorgeous and 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 such a wonderful song, and and of course, a song that has it was this. How many times was it played on the Devils and Dust tour? Was it just walk the like, one time? Walk like a man. Yeah, I wanted it was at least twice. I don't know if it was done other than that. The other time was in Cincinnati, of which, of which we right, okay. don't have a full recording, and I don't think the the Walk Like a Man is included in in what circulates. But it is correct. It's never been played again. After that, yeah, <laughs> very true. Yeah. Made a set list once. That is, does that count? I, that that would have been nice to see that night. <laughs> anyway, we digress. Uh, here, you also got you got Lucky Town, This Hard Land. This is, and of course, anyone who wants to can go. If you don't already own it, you can go to Nugs and, and purchase the show. It is, it is worth a listen. The, the, he really was at, at the height of his powers. And, and these, as we discussed, a lot of these buildings were bigger than, the, of course, the theaters he played on the Joe tour. I think he knew he had to command the audience in, in a different way. And he certainly did. One thing I wanted, wanted to mention, especially with, with the Stockholm show, is that he was he was quite responsive to, to fan requests on, on, on this tour. And he was... There was some some story where they actually were a group of fans actually made it to made it to the steam room with them and and I guess and they were sitting in a sauna and they were they were really peppering him for you know playing something really wild and really different and I think that's how you got the promise and across the border and even walk like a man at this show and he made a joke or, or two about the new album being called Songs from the Steam Room because uh, that's that's where all they were all requested. And that that Wait, trend so someone con- someone ran into him in a steam room and requested sh- songs. Yes, that's exactly what happened. And I, I think it was like with security or whatever. Well, I think it was in the hotel and they were staying there. And it would be a little bit strange for Bruce to be by himself, you know, not with his usual security guy. I don't know if it was Gil at that time or not. And would it have been Terry? Uh, 2005. Yes. Yes, it would have been. That was, so it's kind of surprising that. Terry would not have been there, but, uh, you know, at least, hey, they, they were very respectful and it sounded like, and Bruce did not reject them as he had, you know, 20 years, uh, 20 years earlier where it's like, no, I'm not playing that song. Forget it. I, but, I don't um, know. Not being judgmental at all, but that may be crossing a line into the steamer. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, it got us the promise. It got us yeah. across the border. Walk like a man. It's, you know. And they were respectful. They, you know, they weren't just well, being maybe paid he came fans. in after they were already there. That's another possibility. If someone's sitting in a steam room and he walks in, uh, you know, that's that's fair game. That that's true too. But if it fits into the thing, the, to the theme that uh, that Bruce wanted to 
push some envelopes on, on this tour and and he if he needed some ideas they they were there with them and you know with in abundance so it worked there were two more shows on the european tour they were both in germany hamburg he did jamie don't you lose heart and he did grown up and spare parts which would become a key song at the end of the set a lot of nights as the tour continued on that that was a really strong version of spare parts well, it kind of rotated in, in that spot where uh, we're further in Lucky Town also also occupied. And then the final night in Berlin, Sinaloa Cowboys, which, of course, you would expect on an acoustic tour. And he did Hungry Heart with Wolfgang Niedekin. Yeah, not a surprise there. It's like just just as you get uh, Elliot Murphy in Paris, you get uh, you get Wolfgang in Germany. So <laughs> it's almost like you kind of just like you get in Boston, you, you get uh, Peter Wolf. Now, do they're we agree all, if they... I'm sorry, go ahead. So, yeah, they uh, certain cities, you know, certain guests are showing up. Do we agree that if they release another show from Europe, as much as I want to hear Paradise, that it should be Rome? I would go there. I would definitely go there. I, you know, honestly, I haven't thought about it too much. I should have reviewed some set lists and such before we, we really talk tonight. But that one is certainly an outstanding choice and... Of course, I was always big into into Paris because it had real world, but we've already gotten real world from the tower. You know, I was thought, always thought the Gothenburg show was pretty sweet, sweet as well with with Fade Away and, and Incident into real world, into the fire on on the pump organ. But but yeah, I think the uniqueness of of that opening, I'm on fire. As long as they include, if, as long as they can include that walk the the stage walk on music from once upon a time in the west i think that would be a, a supreme superb choice with that in mid-july he returned to the united states the well he actually returned to canada because the first two shows <laughs> north america were, close enough yeah thank you ottawa and then toronto the first show back in the states was a show you and i were at and speaking of paradise we did get the paradise real world combo in the show the show in Albany, and and I had not seen a show in a while. You had seen shows later in May. I had not. For example, this was the first time I saw a Dream Baby Dream, but I thought this Albany show was just absolutely spectacular with the Into the Fire pump organ opening and Cautious Man was in there and, and you got the Paradise Real World combo. This also, if it, we know they've already released several shows from later in the month, but Albany would be a good one just to get the Paradise Real World combo. What do you think? Just for that one song, I, I, I would go for it. I, as I said, I really haven't thought about too much, thought too much about uh, another uh, 2005 release, but uh, yeah, that one would be good. But I'm, I'm partial to, to, to a couple of shows that we'll hit, we'll hit in, a, in a couple of weeks here. Now, the show after Albany is a show where <laughs> I, I don't know what went on that night. This is wild, man. This was a this wild, is a crazy, crazy show. Uh, the opening with Prove It All Night Acoustic, the only time that's ever been done. You also had tour premieres of Sandy, Leap of Faith, When You're Alone, You're Missing, and Darkness. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six tour premieres in the same show when he had already done quite an array of material, as we've been discussing. I, I don't know what went on here. Now, the Prove It All Night acoustic, very interesting. What do you think of it? It, it, it? There Certainly, there's many, many songs on this tour and many, many arrangements. Obviously, some are not going to work as well as others. 
I did not think Prove It All Night worked quite as well as some of the other stuff. What What about you? Uh, yeah, it didn't quite work. I think it would have been really cool if he had tried that on Pump Organ. I I think uh, that would have been a really interesting move to move to do. I thought your missing was was quite wonderful, though. I'm yes. just kind of surprised. Well, it, that's it such a great song. Uh, well, and it and it lends itself lends itself to such a to a piano arrangement. I'm kind of surprised that it didn't come out more. But again, that's <laughs> that's what happens. And then then leap of faith on piano. Yeah, that's an interesting choice. That's a very interesting choice. But he was he was really really looking for things at this show and. You know, it's kind of all over the place, so it really wasn't a uh, good show in the way that we're used to talking about. But that's a lot. It was different. That's for sure. That's the interesting thing about it. It is a crazy, crazy set list for this tour. But if you listen to it, and of course we weren't there, it might have been different. But listening to it, it's it certainly it's not as tight and not as compelling as some of the other shows from a musical standpoint. But it's interesting to set with set list watch, and of course, it's it's, it's odd that uh, darkness finally made its tour debut at this show. Uh, you know, three and a half months in, into the tour, almost four months, because that was such a such a highlight of, of the Joe tour. And I guess it would go on to again rotate in that slot that I was talking about earlier about further Lucky Town spare parts, and, and now this one. After Buffalo was Bridgeport, Connecticut, you, we were both at that show. I know I was. You were there too, right? No, I wasn't. I skipped that one. I I I was preparing to go to Charlotte, so I didn't go to Bridgeport. And it's also like in the middle of the week, if memory serves. And I was not living in New York at the time, so it made it a little oh, tougher. Right. Yeah. So Bridgeport was a good show. Uh, the, the key one was Nothing Man, which that's the only time I've ever seen the song. Very rarely played, of course, from... The Rising, and I, I thought it worked really well. It, it did not, if I recall, there was actually, I believe there was some kind of sound problem during, oh, it does, yeah, it says here on Bruce Base, sound problems before racing in the street. There, I, I recall that there was there was a moment where the sound dropped out. There, there was no crowd issue like had <laughs> occurred in May with the Meadowlands. So fortunately, I, I, I left because I was flying back to LA after that. Fortunately, I didn't uh, get a uh, a Bruce tantrum. Uh, the the show continued, but the, the one thing I'll say is I, I didn't love the version of Ramrod on the Devils and Dust tour. So the, the encores I thought, w- which had songs other than Ramrod, were a, a, a little bit better. And <laughs> well, it almost kind of reads like a like a reunion tour encore: Ramrod, Bobby Jean, Land of Hope and Dreams. Yeah. This was out of the shows I saw on the Devils and Dust tour, and I was lucky to see quite a number of very, very good shows. This one actually registers my mind as probably the weakest. And he was in the middle of doing a run of of very superb shows, both in Europe and we talked about Albany. The next show after Bridgeport was talk about being sad, having sad eyes at songs that I missed. (laughs) But I'm bumped. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Atlanta, the debut, the, the the live debut of Sad Eyes, which has never been played again, right? Right, that was live debut, only tour, only performance ever. That's and sad. then followed by Valentine's Day, which another song that I've never seen, and I suspect at this point I never will see. It's 
too bad, but I, I didn't catch it when it, when he was doing it during this month or two during the Devils and Dust Tour. And what a couple of selections. Uh, Sad Eyes is a, a very underrated song, and he, he performed it beautifully. Yes, he did. And I thought this that combination, uh, just beautiful. And really, I mean, that kind of showed where the tour was headed, where it was and where it was still yet to go just amazing that, that he would do these these two songs not just in the same show but back to back and that was after a previous piano set of nothing man and incident on 57th street and then he followed up valentine's day with lost in the flood so he's really really spanning the spanning the years there and actually this is one that i wouldn't mind seeing released if only for those two only for that one song sad sad eyes as i said earlier in the show when we were even talking about the original river tour any show that has something very unique should be under consideration. Now, on this tour, that would mean a lot of shows, but the Sad Eyes in particular is is a real, that would be a treat. Yes, it would. We got Valentine's Day from the Columbus release, but uh, an incident from Philly. Uh, I don't think we have Lost in the Flood yet, but... Uh, yeah, this would this would be a good one. And does this bus stops? That that was that was pretty cool as well. Even though it's you know pretty much the same arrangement he played in uh, in '95. Yeah, as he got into late July here, the shows really really hit a, a tremendous peak. And even though I didn't see any of these shows, you you didn't see any of these either, did you? Well, I was in Charlotte. You were in Charlotte. Okay. I was in Charlotte. I thought. And now that's one. That's a show where uh, <laughs> I had an amazing time. I, I actually did the charity seats for that one, so I had excellent seats. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to be totally impartial to this one. But uh, if I remember correctly, it, it, I I had a great time, and obviously r- shows with real world always get an extra extra thumbs up for me. And then when you're alone, two faces. I mean, a double shot, a tunnel, nothing, man, and racing in the street to to book in real world and into the fire to open. So yeah, that was another one. And then, then the encores, I, I forgot about blinded, but wild Billy. So he was really, uh, he was going spanning, as I said, spanning the years. And that was, that was a great night. I might be, as I said, I might be a little bit too, might be a little biased on this one, but it was a great night. And, and then you got to the, the very end of the month. And as you mentioned, Columbus has been released Grand Rapids, which is into August, August 3rd, has been released. He he really went to a level here. It's it's Unfortunately, I didn't see the shows, as I mentioned. It's wonderful to listen to. The Columbus show with Lift Me Up to open. Who would have ever thought that Lift Me Up would be played? <laughs> ever. I mean, come on. And, and then yeah. you got Back in Your Arms in there and, and Cynthia, uh, Lift Me Up, Back in Your Arms and Cynthia all played in the same show. Not to mention One Step Up and When You're Alone from Tunnel, plus Valentine's Day, also from that record. It, it, and, and that's a really good show to listen to. And, yeah. and then. Well, well, I just I just want to add in here. I think the, the stretch from from July 31st in Columbus uh, to uh, about just almost exactly a, a week later, August 7th in Milwaukee. This was the sweet spot of the tour, yes. period. Uh, this is this is it. We, I mean, we've been talking about how he's the excellent shows throughout, you know, the second half of Europe and in and, and July up to this point. But this week right here, this is this uh, the best stretch of shows 
at least of the tour and and certainly up there i would i would put this week of shows up there was just about any other week of shows you know the last 15 17 8 20 years well look at these openers lift me up which i mentioned <laughs> the, the next night two for the road uh, i mean it, you really would have to be if you had ever said oh i think two for the road is going to be played or even if you said i think two for the road should be played everyone would be like are, are you on what drugs are you on? <laughs> yeah i mean are you on crack <laughs> And, and then, I mean, Tunnel of Love, which obviously is nowhere near as crazy, but the arrangement of Tunnel of Love to open the Grand Rapids show, that is one of the most scintillating performances I've heard. Now, you know, I love that song so much. And the way he performed it, he really got to the essence of the song. And, and shockingly, it was never performed again on this tour and, and certainly never performed in this arrangement again. No, I, I think he, at that point, he had actually done every song, had performed every song on the album, on the tour, except for the title track. So I think that, I wonder if, if that played a role in, in his bringing it, out, bringing it out, but it certainly fit in with with the rest of the show and and, and with the tour in general. But we, yeah. we kind of have to, we kind of have to go back to Cincinnati a little bit, though. For sure. Uh, I mean, Ain't Got You as well as live the debut of Living Proof. And Living Proof would become a semi-regular from, from here on out. And I would not have expected that, ever. Well, and it was played on multiple instruments, too. Yes. Yes, it was. And it was on pump organ. And I think this one, this one was on guitar. And I thought it worked best on, on pump organ, actually. I'm not, I'm not usually a big fan of that, but I think Living Proof worked really, really well there. Just a wonderful batch of shows. Of course, Grand Rapids has also been released. Very, very worthy release. Yeah, Cincy would be another solid release, if only because, as I've mentioned a couple times, we only have half the show in a in a fan source recording. So it would make uh, that would that would go a long way. And not only would it be a strong show, but it would be good for the for the collectors out there. From there, the tour went to St. Louis. Now, the very notable thing that happened in this show, as we all know, on the Joe tour, not a single song from Born to Run was played. The Devils and Dust tour started. There were no songs from Born to Run played. And then on this night, August 6, 2005, as he was approaching the release of the 30th anniversary box for Born to Run, Backstreets was played at this show, solo piano. It would be played semi-regularly the rest of the way. And and what would you expect? It, it was it was phenomenal. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. And and it didn't it kind of had that feel of, of of a man looking back, which which I'm sure he was looking back on his youth at this point. And it but it really worked incredibly well. And certainly uh, coming out of nothing, man, it that's uh Quite a quite a segue, to 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 say the least. Also played in the show County Fair, which had made one appearance in two thousand and three. Now, full admission, County Fair is not one of my favorites. Of all the outtakes he could play, that would not be one of the ones I would choose. But interesting nonetheless that it made it into the set again. <laughs> well, between County Fair and Cynthia, man, you got you got two of the USA outtakes right there. Yeah. 
I like I like that a lot. And this would you know, and again, this would be another solid contender for an official release. Just I think for county fair, but obviously you 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 don't you don't uh, you don't agree with me. But uh, I think uh, back in your arms and, and Backstreet certainly can make the argument a little bit stronger. Well, but wasn't Backstreet's it part of the eleven twenty two? Which is yes, it was. So Backstreet's has already been released from this tour. Ah, my bad. Okay. All right. so, so, but still, I think County Fair is just a lovely, lovely little song, and I thought he he nailed it here. Even if he had, a, I think, he, if memory serves, he had to restart at some point. I think he kind of got a little bit lost during the during the performance. Well, I agree; it's a rarity. It would be nice to be released. I still, if if I'm going to put in my two cents for one song from this tour, it's going to be Paradise, which was incredibly powerful but we'll we'll take whatever we can get <laughs> that's true and then they moved on to milwaukee and another strong set list another strong performance and an even better bootleg this one this fan fan source recording i believe uh ranks up there with with the best of the tour if not the possibly one of the best audience recordings of all time and <laughs> that is some high praise from Flynn. It, it is. It's, it was a tremendous recording. Oh my God, I was blown away by it when I when I first heard it and shut out the light on, on I think again on Pump Oregon and got the tour debut of Frankie, which was just amazing on piano. Plus, back in your arm, Frankie in the back of your arms. How how awesome is that? Come on, it's pretty awesome. And <laughs> he continued with the awesomeness in Portland. Soul Driver on the Pump Oregon to open. I, that's a that's another good one and 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 I, I'm seeing here I'm Bruce Bass happy with sound checked we don't have there's no recording of that right not that I'm aware of I'm not really sure that's been totally confirmed but okay. I would be happy to be proven wrong on that one so please send me any IM recordings you may have well <laughs> he probably could have played he could have played happy on the pump organ I don't know if that was where he he rehearsed it. But it, it seems like it might have fit as well. The adventurousness of what he was doing here. This show included Soul Driver. I wish I were blind. Of course, those are songs from 92. You, you got multiple songs, three songs, actually, from Tunnel of Love. Frankie was in there. You got stuff, uh, Wild Billy Circus Story. So you're hitting the early stuff. This, this is one hell of a set. And one of the things as we're, we're talking about it now, and I wish he did this a little bit more with the band. Of course, I, I understand it's challenging in an arena, but he was hitting such an overview of his career here. It, it really was, uh, every segment was being hidden. And, and that's a wonderful thing. And that, and that is something that has been missing from the band tours, the, the, certainly the last 10 years or so. Well, I think the only time he really tried to bring out that some of the more of the 92 stuff was obviously the end of of the rising tour when he was hitting when he was doing the stadiums that's certainly where lucky town cynthia local hero they all got they all got pulled out at least once and then then as we discussed on the magic tour he that's where he focused almost exclusively on on what the east street band did and and that certainly rolled into working on a dream it wasn't until Actually, even 2013, that he he really that he delved anywhere back into the '92 stuff. Um, remember, he did Man's Job at that point. 
in 13. Uh, I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to remember what else he was doing. Um, I think he finally was doing Lucky Town again, but yeah, he seemed to he seemed to dro- drop a lot of that 92 stuff for for a good chunk of of the next like five six years. Yeah, it's too bad. It, this very, is, it's very unfortunate. It, it's worthy of, of being played. All of this stuff is the Tom Love material. So it, it, it's great. And and I do think at some point, because I'm sure as he gets older, these types of shows, whether it's a Broadway type of presentation or something like this, it, it will probably be a little bit freer to, to do stuff like this because it, it'll be easier on him physically. But just really, really great stuff here. And there were, there were two more shows left on the summer leg. One was at Key Arena in Seattle on August 11th. There was one tour premiere that night. It was Be True. And then he finished up in Vancouver, where there was also one tour premiere, which was Because the Night on the electric piano. Another interesting arrangement. Yeah, I would imagine that would have been done on the actual piano. but I would have thought so, too. But uh, not to be, and and that wasn't. Yeah, I think the Northwest run was actually. I think we. I may give it short thrift, if only because of the week it comes after. But he he's doing. He's still doing a lot of the the highlights, the like the promise and Janie, don't you lose heart? Cynthia ain't got you. Frankie, uh, the River Highway Twenty Nine. He's he's still hitting on all the all the cylinders, as we like to say. And it's almost almost as if it was it was a disappointment that he had to that he had to take a break for another for about a month and a half. Yeah, and when he when he came back the show was slightly different. He he was not doing exactly what he was doing here where where it was such an overview of his career as he returned to the northeast. We got a lot more older stuff. This actually the Vancouver show featured the final version of Paradise from this tour and and of course that remains the final version of Paradise to this date. Should we stop here? Should we break after this summer leg and pick back up the next time with the final U.S. leg where you and I both saw a lot of shows and I know there's going to be a lot to talk about? Yes, that would probably be a, be a good idea because we, we're not exactly uh, short-winded when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> so, all right. Well, that is what we will do then. And that concludes tonight's extravaganza on the Devils and Dust Tour. I'll wrap it up. None but the Brave <laughs> is a presentation of Bull Market Entertainment. We're a part of Evergreen Podcasts. On the web, find us at nonebutthebravepodcast.com. On Twitter, reach out to us at NBTB Podcast. So for Hal Schwartz, I'm Flynn McLean saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Weiland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.